Welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm William. And I'm Sarah. And today we are talking about the transition between high school and college and everything that comes with that. Um, we have two guests with us today. Um, the first time we've had two guests in a while. We're so happy to have both of them, Tiffany Storm and Hamza Iqbal. And they will tell you about themselves in just a little bit as we have this conversation. As always, be sure to take care of yourselves. We don't really know where this conversation is going to go. It can go down many different winding roads. So we might end up talking about unhealthy or abusive relationships. We might be talking about sexual relationships. We might be talking about peer pressure, um, as well as maybe some systemic oppressions uh, along the way. So be sure to take any time away that you need to and join us back when you're ready. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. Let's start with Tiffany. Tiffany, tell us who you are. Well, gladly. Thank you guys, first of all, for having us on today. Uh, My name is Tiffany Storm, and I come from a domestic violence nonprofit organization in Northeast Texas called Women in Need. I serve as a prevention education specialist, so we get to talk healthy relationships all the time, and um, it's a passion of mine. I've had personal experiences throughout my life, and so my goal is to continue to do the best I can to educate people and inform them on all things healthy relationships. How long have you been doing this work? This is three years. Exactly. Actually, I think I have an anniversary any, any day now. So three years in this role. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So you were like super new when we first met um, at your first training. Cause I've been here. I've, we've both been with TCFV almost three years this summer. Yeah, I think we've kind of taken the journey together, so. Love it. Hamza, who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, thank you, William and Sarah, for having me on the show. And uh, as William said, my name is Hamza Iqbal. I'm a Dallas kid. I was born and raised in Dallas my entire life. And I'm just uh, really grateful to be here. I've been an advocate against domestic violence for a few years now, and I've had the great privilege and blessing to work with William and Sarah and with TCFV, along with other young advocates like myself and the Young Hearts Matter Youth Leadership Board. So I'm just really grateful to be here and I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk. And also for context, you are also currently uh, in college. Yes, of course. I graduated from Plano East Senior High School, I think about yeah a year ago now. Wow, that just hit me out of nowhere. And now I'm finishing my freshman year at the University of Texas at Dallas. Yes, yes. And like I said, we're so happy to have both of you here for this conversation. Thanks for sharing a little bit about yourselves. As always, we ask a fun icebreaker question. So today your question is something you're looking forward to this summer. What is it? Um, okay, I guess I'll go first. So I've uh, I've been very tunnel visioned because I have six final exams in the next five days. So I can't see past the next five days. So I'm just trying to get past the semester. And then anything after that will be better than these coming five days. So that's all I'm looking forward to, honestly. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it is. So you're looking forward to being done with this semester. (laughs) Tiffany, what about you? I would say looking forward to sunshine, lake days, some downtime with my kiddos. It seems like the summer is always a little less busy in our role. So looking forward to that. 
Yes. I always love your sunshiny pictures on Instagram. Thank you for sharing. William, how about you? I am actually not a huge fan of summer. I don't like the heat, but I had a pool day two weeks ago and it was so nice. And so I'm really excited to be like near water again, like outside. But I am not excited about the like 100 plus degree weather that is coming our way. But if you're next to a pool, it matters a little less. So thanks for inviting me. Sorry, (laughs) I can only have I'm technically only allowed two guests. Okay. Also, Um, what? Shady Llama, I can't with the invitations that you're talking about right now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, well, I'm hoping that this happens this summer. It could potentially be in the fall, depending on how long things take. But I should have my LPC associate license this summer, which I am thrilled about and very much looking forward to. Congratulations. Thank you. Yay, that's super (laughs) exciting. Congratulations. It is very exciting. Graduations later this week and just don't even know what to do with yourself. We're going to celebrate, though. So I don't know what to do. I'm actually very honestly quite like concerned that I'm going to be bored not working two jobs. This will be the first time in three years that I am only working one job. So I'm a little I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Got to find a hobby. Got to find a hobby. So... Like I said, today we are talking about the transition from high school to college. Hamza being the most recent person in this group to make said transition or or be actively making the transition. It's been a little longer for the rest of us. But I want to ask Tiffany, why is it important for us to talk about this transition? What What is important about that part of someone's life? You know, it's interesting. I've gotten to work with several different counties, thousands of students in high school. And more recently, we've been getting more and more involved with college students. Um, We have a large university in one of our counties that we serve. And it's interesting. I began to see a dynamic and a transition that takes place that's critical. I think it it's there's a lot that happens in those years of our life that begin to model relationships that we begin to get preconceived notions about what relationships long term should look and be like and um, I think there's a lot of things too when a person goes from high school to college especially if they're off campus or living on campus away from home there's a lot of newfound freedom that comes with that and responsibility and peer pressures. And there's all kinds of things to consider. And I think it just can play a really heavy role on the dynamics of um, intimate partner relationships. We see a lot of increased dating violence. You know, there's, there's not a lot of reporting when people get to college because there's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics at play there, but yeah, this, this transition is critical for more education, more understanding, pouring into these young people. It's one of my passions. I believe this is an age from high school to college where we can really help young people become the change for the future to create homes that are healthy and strong and on a, on a solid foundation. Yeah, and Hamza, as someone who is maybe closing that transition. I don't know how you personally identify as being part of that transition, but you are also, like you mentioned in your intro, uh, you have experience being an advocate as well. So what has your experience been um, with that transition, knowing you might have some additional perspective that your peers maybe don't? So in, in terms of transition, I would say that 
at least I can maybe speak for myself and other freshmen. Uh, this this transition has been very different compared to many others because of COVID. A lot of students have moved to online schooling and have been staying home. So I think it's uh, at least for me, I've noticed that it, it's really like drastically shifted dynamics. Um, as Tiffany said, I mean, she touched on everything perfectly. But uh, on top of what she was saying is like just the added chaos and the heavy stress that comes with practically coming into a new world, you know, from high school to college, just learning about how everything is different from what you thought it was. I think, as she said, that adds to higher rates of dating violence. But now that everything is more online, I've noticed that relationships themselves have become online in a way. They're not so much as in person as it is through, you know, apps like Snapchat, Instagram, text, uh, phone numbers, Discord, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it's been very interesting for me to see because it's, I would say that it's even more difficult to recognize red flags in relationships or potentially, you know, uh, some potentially disturbing or dangerous behaviors that you would see in a partner if you were with them, hanging out with them every day. But now it's, now that it's online, it's just, it's been even, even more chaotic. Yeah, it's easier for someone to kind of craft their image in a digital space so that they can maybe hide some of those red flags yeah. a little more. And certainly there are like digital red flags too that that people can can show. But but yeah, my little sister is actually in the same position as you, Hamza. She's a, a college freshman who is ending her freshman year and and it's been a really uh, interesting experience for her. Like she hasn't met a lot of people on her campus. And like, so even friendships have been really hard um, right in this virtual space. Yeah. I mean, uh, finding friends and stuff has been, a, it's a whole different struggle. I mean, kind of like, it really takes away from the relatability that a lot of young people find comfort in. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, I remember my experiences from high school transitioning, you know, to a different city, my four years in my college experience, I was super involved, but I remember what that was like. And I'm not going to say how long ago this was, <laughs> um, but, but we do face a tremendous difference in that transition, the challenges. I mean, we could take the past year and I can't even imagine Hamza, what you've been, what you've been experiencing in your first year. You just take society in general with the increase of social media pressures, digital, um, you know, influences, dating apps, things like that. Yeah. It's, it's just complete, complete chaos. And Definitely. unfortunately our university a few years ago experienced a homicide on campus due to dating violence. And I think it was at that point that we began to wake up that we really need to look a little bit deeper about how are these young people being equipped to understand the dynamics that they're in. I think that that they go and they have a goal in mind and education and everything else is, is just a fun experience that they're trying to navigate. And I think this is a critical component that, um, you know, these conversations have got to be more, number one, relevant, but frequent. Um, and so that I know that that's some of the goals that we've had is becoming more of a presence, really trying to communicate clearly and create partnerships with all of the resources that are available to students so that we can all be on this, on this same page with the messaging and the information and just kind of create a louder voice so that that these young these young adults can really navigate this in a healthier way. I'm glad y'all brought up that like things have 
changed and it has been different for everybody, whether in college or just working professionally or in, in different grades. And I'm, I am curious from y'all's point of view, how has like prevention or advocacy changed on college campuses in a COVID world? So do you mean specifically on campuses, uh, how prevention has changed just in general? Just like in general, working with this age group and this transition, like what does prevention and support look like now? I would say a great example is you guys, podcasts, you know, um, it's because there aren't as many people as camp on campus. And I mean, I, I went to I went on campus like a few times and it was like a ghost town, you know, like it was it's actually very sad to see it's almost nobody's there. So in terms of advocacy and just I, I think related to pretty much any issue that involves advocacy and just the raising of awareness and stuff, everything's kind of shifted. You know, everyone's had to be accustomed to and just gleaming information from more online sources and online platforms. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, we all had to pivot in our own ways. And I think one of the number one ways that we were able to reach people or that we attempted to is, yeah, those same channels, channels like Zoom, you know, social media, YouTube, just trying to to get in front of people. And I think one of the things that we picked up on in the last year, you know, we were, we were trying new things and I think it's always okay to try new things and new ways to reach people. I think, I think if this last year has taught us anything, it's that ability to get creative and pivot and find new ways to deliver this information um, and not let it slow us down in the work that we're trying to do. And so, um, yeah, we just kind of dove headfirst into creating monthly presentations, online support groups, um, doing whatever we could to, to kind of, again, fill the gaps. Because I think as we all know, you know, some of the things that we saw was a continued rise as isolation was an issue. We saw a ton of clients coming into our shelter and to, to our services because of the conversations that we were having, the presentations that we were giving via Zoom presentations. And so um, even in that online platform, we saw an increase of services uh, from people from the university. Another thing that we were able to pick up on because of those pivots were how many faculty and people that were interested in the topics that we were covering. I think that as we've partnered together with the University Police Department, the Student Advocacy Center, to kind of create this united front to bring this information, we've realized that that having a third party on campus is really necessary. Sometimes faculty and students, there's fear involved in reporting. We have Title IX. We've got a lot of things at play there. And so uh, we really got to be a resource in a big way, even even in the pivot of the pandemic. So uh, it's been really eye opening and a learning process for us as an organization, for sure. Yeah, uh, Tiffany, I'm actually so glad uh, that you brought up isolation, which is, I think, such a common theme among anybody who's been very alone during the pandemic. And something that at least I felt transitioning from high school to college is that it's already an isolating experience in of itself. You know, I'm, I'm not saying people can't be isolated in high school, but high schools are generally smaller, smaller groups of kids. It's more of a community type feeling. You go from there to a big university or a college where nobody really knows each other. And you kind of get people caught up, you, you find people caught up in their own little these micro ecosystems and these bubbles. And then on top of that, you kind of add COVID, which is literally made people alone. And I just think it's, I think it's just a great point that it's, and as you said, um, there was actually research done by my university that discovered that there was a 
12.5 to 13% increase in domestic violence incidents just on college campuses and in, in the city, actually. So it's, um, it's really alarming. And um, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. And the transition to college is there's there's just so many things about it, right? Like you're going into a new structure as opposed to having a solid eight to three or whatever time you're in school, you're in school for a solid seven hours in high school, usually. And you're while you may have different classes as you transition, you're with the same group of people like you were just saying, Hamza. And when you go to college, like you get to pick your own schedule. You may or may not see the same people, um, even in this world, in like the Zoom sessions. And so you you have this new this new structure and you're kind of having to learn how you fit in and what what kind of habits you may need to form. I know when I transitioned from high school to college, I this is not meant to be a brag moment, but like I didn't have to study in high school, right? Like I, I excelled academically and did not have to put any effort. And that first semester in college, I was like, oh, this is not the same. And so, you know, you just have to learn some of those new habits. And I can't imagine that if I was having to do it all from home, how much harder that would have been for me. Because I, I remember my first chemistry class had online quizzes. I constantly miss those suckers. Like I, because I was just not used to having to log in to do anything. Um, I think now maybe high school, there is maybe some more online engagement than there was when I was in high school. But yeah, all of that, like just the structural change is different and having to learn new habits and behaviors and uh, accountability measures. I agree completely. And I think even if we were to look at it outside of the COVID world in general, you know, there's almost this dependence, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out who am I in this world? So you, you might find friends, whether that's in your major and organizations that you join, whatever that looks like. And there becomes a dependence. There's almost a sense of family within this, these peer structures. And then if, if a person gets engaged in a dating relationship, again, the same, right? So you begin to see this almost different level of dependence because a person is still trying to figure out who are they independently. And, um, you know, you mix in, you know, extracurricular activities or, you know, access to things like alcohol or anything like that. And you can get people that are, that are not that maybe they haven't developed those habits or healthy skill sets, like you're talking about William, and maybe they fall into you know, to, to pressures or to different identities because they're just trying to figure it out. And so I think that, yeah, there's a lot of layers there as to why we see, um, see a struggle, you know, that 18 to 24 years old, we see a lot of, a lot of struggle with, um, people experiencing dating violence and things like that. So it's a critical time period in a person's life. Yeah. And I mean, we, um, especially, as you said, we find comfort in these interpersonal relationships. And for, for some people, it's even an escape from whatever situation they're in. So it's ex- extremely disheartening to just wake up every morning and go to the same desk, sit on the same computer and do college, quote unquote. You know, it, it's just, uh, I mean, uh, for me, you know, I, I've been grateful that like, uh, I'm in a home where, you know, like I have supporting parents, supporting and loving parents, and I'm just, I don't have to worry about too many things, but for a lot of kids, a lot of college students who need to get away from home where it's unsafe or just somewhere they don't want to be at all, I can't even imagine how how difficult it must be for them. One thing y'all touched on a little bit 
but like haven't specifically named is whether it's COVID world or not, there's a, there can be a big sense of loss in this transition. And that could be a loss of best high school friends. It could be a loss of, you know, I was expecting college to be one way and then a pandemic hit and now I'm at home. You know, it can be a loss of so many things. And that's not something we as a culture typically tend to process. And like, I remember being in high school and they had a teacher and he was like, oh, this is going to be the best time of your life. You just wait. And I hated it. I hated it so much because I was like, I, I don't have my friends. I moved away. I can't make new friends now. Like there was this huge sense of loss and this high expectation that I was supposed to be living my best life. And I can imagine that that is really difficult now too, but like in a different way with being at that same desk every morning, like you have had a loss and a grief and like even connecting back to dating relationships, you can find a lot of comfort in there. And if you're more vulnerable and have all of these stressors and have all of these things that you're navigating, it's really hard. I think you're exactly right. And I think sometimes too, in navigating some of those highs and lows emotionally that a person goes through in that transition. And if the only thing they have to rely on are the models that, that they have seen in relationship growing up, if those were unhealthy in any way, or if they just didn't have, you know, much of a model at all, maybe, like you said, it, it, almost dating relationships can become a coping mechanism. It can become something that provides comfort in the discomfort, if you will. And I think that it can be much easier much easier to disregard red flags. I think there's also this level of naiveness. Is that a word? <laughs> there's also a level of, of being naive for a, a person coming from high school into college. Hamza, I mean, no disrespect, but I mean, to the, to the big world, right? To, to responsibility and accountability, to show up and have a disciplined schedule, to make a good choice today so that tomorrow I can, I can be doing things without a parent, you know, waking you up in the morning or, you know, some of those things without the confines and structures of being at home. And so I think it can just be super easy to disregard, you know, some, some of those better choices to disregard some of those red flags to just kind of stay in the shallow end of what feels comfortable in an in what might feel uncomfortable situation in that transition. So... Yeah, I mean, no offense taken whatsoever. If I, I feel like I'm self-aware enough to know that I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what's going on. And uh, I know I can speak for a lot of my friends when, when they're just as confused and uh, just kind of surrounded in this uh, weird chaos uh, as well. Spoiler alert, well, adults don't know either. I yeah, I was, 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 <laughs> was going to say, scientifically, they say our brains are not fully developed until our mid 20s. But yeah, I, I still have I still have a lot of questions in life. So I can't imagine what what you're going through with this transition with all the world has to offer right now. Yeah. And I think there's a very, um, at least what I've noticed, and this could differ from culture to culture, family to family, et cetera, et cetera. But there's kind of like this, at least here, there's like this dichotomous relationship between, hey, you got to have it figured out. Like, this is a time where like, you're going to get it together, blah, blah, blah. Oh, also like, this is going to be the most fun time of your life. Like, I feel like that kind of, that kind of relationship between two things that don't always go together is like, what also adds to this very confusing feeling that a lot of um, fresh college students can feel. Yeah, it can definitely be overwhelming. One thing I just wanted to add to Tiffany, what you were saying 
And that kind of times it ties into what you were saying, Hamza, is like that overwhelmingness. It can kind of, again, like we can kind of disregard those red flags. But I also wanted to just note, too, that like for people who don't necessarily have those role models or don't understand healthy relationships or don't know how, you know, like don't know those aspects and may lean towards more unhealthy behaviors like themselves, those can come out too in this time. If we're like high stressed and we haven't like worked on these things, those unhealthy tendencies that we may have can tend to come out in our relationships more too, which is also hard to navigate. Yeah, that's an incredible point. I completely agree. So I think it's like, you know, the several components to this, you know, cycle that a person may get engaged in, you know, be it their traits or their partner's traits coming up in this, in this discomfort. And then again, we could circle that back to the the peer pressures of simply being in a relationship at times might feel like something that they should be doing or engaging in, or if they were to, to define or recognize some red flags, figuring out how might they disassociate from this person if it's a part of their peer group. And, and one of the things that we've seen is the stats are, are massive on, you know, peers not knowing what to do if they're recognizing unhealthy behavior on the outside, a person that's in an unhealthy relationship, not knowing what to do if their dating partner is a part of their peer group. Um, so, so there's like these multidimensional issues that are at play here, but really just the lack of information and knowledge that these young adults have, it was just staggering to me. I think when we started to, to dive in deep with these college students. And again, I typically have been working with middle school and high school students. And so their framework is a lot different. And I kind of go into those experiences knowing that these students probably don't have a a big understanding of relationship. And I kind of get to go in and lay some some framework or foundation and, and hopefully set some, you know, frame of reference or model for them. But but I think that there's almost this assumption that college students are these young adults that, that like we've mentioned a couple of times here are, you know, kind of supposed to have it figured out, but yet there's that delicate, you know, they have a few month period where they go from being a child to seemingly an adult. And, um, you know, are they really truly getting the information and resources they need to succeed or excel on a psychological level, relationally, as well as academically? Like, are we preparing them as a full human? when they, when they get out of, I I know that, you know, I met my ex-husband in college. I think there's a lot of people that find their future partners in college. And are these people, you know, do they know enough about what it is that they're even looking for in, in relationship, you know, and is that something that we're doing a good job of educating people on? Just I think that thoughts. pressure. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think that pressure starts in high school, like and when you talk to a high school senior, what are your questions? What college are you going to? What are you going to major in? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like you, you start hitting them with all these questions, trying to set up that pressure of like having their life together. And I know that can be super anxiety inducing for a lot of people. And once you do get into college and you, you think you have a plan and then you got to change majors or you've got to shift, it can be really hard for a lot of people because of those pressures. But also college is a time to learn, right? And, and it kind of going back to what Hamza was saying about the contradictory 
things. Like you're supposed to have it together and you're supposed to have fun. It is supposed to be a fun time. Like that's the other college stereotype, right? Is that like everybody's out drinking and everybody's whatever. And that's not always the case for everybody, certainly. But it's still supposed to be a fun time where you're making new relationships and you're figuring yourself out, right? Like what are my personal boundaries? What are my, what is my identity like separate from the home that I grew up in or separate from my parents or from my hometown, if you've gone far enough or like wherever. Um, so a lot of it's that personal growth journey that I think we also don't support enough as adults or as, as systems. Uh, and, and I can't like Hamza, I can't imagine what that trying to find your young adulthood in this pandemic and um, having to navigate not only the transition from high school to college, but also those personal relationships and, and your intra personal relationship, Mm -hmm. like the relationship with yourself. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting actually, because I mean, now more than ever, uh, we spend so much more time with ourselves than anybody else. And as you, as all of you guys have mentioned, peer pressure, like it plays, our peers play a tremendous amount. They have a tremendous amount of influence on how we feel about ourselves and stuff. So we have to just be very careful with the people that we surround ourselves with. And as William, you mentioned that um, there is this contradictory relationship almost between, you know, having fun versus figuring your life out. And what I've seen, I mean, from what I could have seen, you know, from my very limited COVID era perspective is there's a very nonchalant attitude throughout college uh, throughout college peers when it comes to relationships and how they kind of uh, interact with uh, our schoolwork because you know again like you're supposed to have it all figured out you got to be focused on yourself you got to be being you got to be you know doing you etc etc but then there's also that kind of like side thing like oh like for guys at least like if you don't have a girl then what are you doing you know like if you're not drinking if you're not partying if you're not doing this like college is supposed to be fun blah 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 so it's very like it's a very uh it's a very interesting place to be stuck in for sure i love that you kind of bring light to almost this like this masculine ideal that that there's a there's an added pressure you know to that i think that that's super super interesting you know hamza i'm interested if it's okay if mm-hmm. i'm just interested in the work that you do or like what you would love to see happen you know for for college students or you know being in in your age group you're kind of in it what are some what are some things that you feel like need to light that needs to be shown in in I, this i feel like in terms of um, people in my age group, I would say just understanding. I think understanding and a lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge is really is really what it comes down to. Like it's as Sarah was mentioning, it's not that for some people might uh, who feel dependent upon relationships or amidst chaos, amidst stress, look to relationships for comfort. Some might choose to ignore the red flags, and some people don't even know what the red flags are. Like they can't even recognize it. And I feel like that's what it really comes down to. That's that's what I try to focus on is like, we don't talk about this enough. Like we see, we, we hear about it. And uh, as I was saying before, when it kind of plays into this nonchalant atmosphere, it's like, oh, like, yeah, whatever. Or like, oh, she did this, he did that. Like people just kind of, kind of wave it to the side. And I just want to bring it to like the light where like, no, like we need to really understand what's going on here. We need to be able to look at ourselves and look at each other. And most of all, have the love and compassion to hopefully take preventative measures and be able to recognize uh, red flags or any other thing that may be causing harm to 
people in relationships or out. I love that. And I like that you said like love and compassion. I don't remember the words you said, sorry. But like, we also have to have the love and compassion for ourselves too. Because if we don't have that, then it can make it harder to look for red flags or to see them or to acknowledge them. I am curious, something we brought up in a previous episode with Adam Dodge was the concept of green flags. And that's looking for like healthy behaviors and relationships and kind of picking those out and seeing that. Sometimes if we only look for green flags, we don't see the red flags, right? But I am curious on y'all's thoughts about like educating around green flags and not just necessarily red flags with this age group and college campuses. I love that you bring that up because I am the epitome of a green flags type of gal. Like I will look for green flags in every relationship, every person. I'm always looking for the positive in people. One of the, one of the other pivots though, that we had to make in our curriculum, um, I guess it was a couple of years back was, was really finding the balance. And I love that you bring that up because we were educating so much on unhealthy and abusive situations and red flags and all, all of that, that we almost began to lose sight of like, well, then what is it? So we were kind of tunnel vision and on the unhealthy behaviors that we really did decide to make some changes to bring more of that conversation in, you know, this is what it should look and feel like. This is what a healthy relationship can do for your life. It's actually meant to add value. It's meant to be a contribution, a positive one to your life. And so, yeah, I I think that we've definitely tried to consider that more and more. I think, again, it goes back to the need for, you know, really helping the the young adult as as a whole uh, when they leave their college experience. And so um, in terms of, you know, the work that we're trying to provide, we've really sat down with, like I said, university police and student advocacy, the centers and the individuals that are that are kind of on the front lines at a university and said, what are these, what are these young adults, what are they interested in? And one of the things that that we have found as we've been like researching topics to bring on a more consistent basis. Um, Like our goal is to monthly have more conversations, monthly be on campus to create some presence and rapport. And then, um, you know, in October do a little bit more work, but, but in kind of mapping all of that out, figuring out and understanding that guess what? Young adults are interested in relationship conversations. They're interested in learning this stuff. And so we've really started to ask them. We've really started to kind of put our heads together and say, what do they need to know? It's not just red flags. One of the things that I think is so important too for young adults is being super relevant. And it's another way that we've had to pivot our curriculum as well. There's a theme. I keep using that word, but I think it's important. I think as quickly as our society's changing, we have to change. We have to continue to stay consistent with what's happening, what these young adults experience is. And so, um, you know, looking at these online dating platforms, these connections, quote unquote, that people are, are having um, behind the scenes and digital dating, you know, violence and things like that, just becoming and bringing awareness to some of these other topics that maybe we haven't had to in the past. But I think you're right. I think there's a wide range of what education looks like for these young adults. It's not just what it isn't. Um, I think that there's just a lot of different information that needs to be given. So. You know, Tiffany, I'm I'm actually really curious. Um, It's hard for me to speak on this as much because, you know, um, I'm in the bubble that we all are talking about. So as a prevention coordinator yourself, 
you've worked with so many high school students and college students. So what do you really think is, um, I guess, a more, I guess, a practical way of approaching this in a way that we need, like, how, sorry, I'm wording this terribly, but uh, I guess a more um, understanding way of maybe knowing what we are missing as college students and uh, high school students ourselves. Like, what are we other than awareness and understanding, like what are some things that we perhaps need to be more focused on as Sarah was saying, green flags. Yeah. So, so that's super interesting. And I think that there's a lot, I mean, that's a, that's a big question. I think that, you know, one of the things is that we just try to be good listeners. And I think for us as prevention educators, you know, one of our goals is to, is to start the conversations, but then listen to the things that need to be heard from those conversations. And so, uh, we're just trying to take what people are personally experiencing right now, relevant, right? So be it that we're addressing COVID issues, be it that we're addressing, you know, social media or digital issues, peer pressure issues, whatever that looks like. And then taking that and creating um, information that can be super helpful. So I think a lot of it is building rapport. I think a lot of it is listening. I think that's that's really and truly where we get to being able to provide the right information for students. Um, in terms of practical information, one of the, the routes that we've tried to take is to get captive audiences. And so part of our plan, and we haven't got to execute this fully because of the pandemic, but part of our plan is to get some captive audience to, you know, be at sports teams. Uh, we've had a few specific organizations that we've done very tailored presentations for. And so basically whatever um, we've done presentations for minority groups, we've done presentations for, um, like, a, like I mentioned, sports, men, women, whatever that looks like. And then in these smaller groups, determining and discovering what it is that they're actually looking for, what information do they need for their specific you know, experience. We're just trying to ignite the conversations. We're just trying to bring whatever information we have to them and then allow them to begin to have those conversations among themselves. And I think that that's ultimately the goal. So that's one of the ways that we're trying to do it. I love that you like specifically talked about meeting people where they're at, right? Like you get to know them, you listen, you build rapport, you get to know that community. You might have some information already ready, but already ready and prepared, but then you tailor it, right? And because they might, one community might need different information than another. But Hamza, to like add on to like your question, I think I would, I think in our culture, like broad American culture, we don't necessarily focus on what we should do. Maybe. I don't know that's the term I want to go with, but I'm going to go with it. But there's a lot of, like to Tiffany's point earlier, here's things to look out for. Here's things you shouldn't do. Here's like this kind of thing. And I think, you know, as a mom, I see this a lot. It's just natural to like, don't do this, don't do that. Like we set up rules, right? And like there's things we don't do. And I think it can be harder to have the conversations around what does a healthy relationship look like and what like what are the green flags because relationships are so complicated I was having a conversation like this with some clients and I was like I got a little stuck on like how like what does building trust look like 
because it is so different in dating relationships from one dating to the next dating relationship. It's different for family. It's different for friends. It's different for coworkers, right? Like, so there's so much and relationships are so complex that it's almost easier to say, like, if you hits you, then leave. Right. And so really being mindful of everyone has the right to a safe and healthy relationship. But what does safe and healthy mean for you in the context of a dating relationship or in the context of a friendship or even really in the context of just being right? Because we can be safe and healthy within ourselves or not. And so I think just really sparking those conversations, going back to Tiffany's point of listening and like having people be able to process that together is really important. Oh, I love that. I, I so love that you bring that up, Sarah, because, you know, my heart is if, if I could have it my way, I would love for, you know, young adults to have to, to take some of those deep dives of their own selves, right? So their own belief systems, their own, you know, safety and trust and boundaries and all the things that, that really, honestly, a healthy relationship starts with a healthy version of ourselves. We, we have a better ability to recognize that outside of us if we have established it inside of us. Right. And so, um, I think there's so much to that and without going too far into unpacking it, you're exactly right. And, and so I think that, that really it is, it's about peeling back the layers. It does become easier to say, don't do this. Don't do that. It does become easier to focus on the what not to do. But when we start to kind of like peel back the layers and dig a little deeper into those conversations and here's what it should look like. And really here's what it should look like within yourself. Um, and how can we start there to create, you know, this firm foundation for people to engage in healthy relationships. And like you mentioned with themselves, but also in, in peer groups, you know, with family members and, and, and ultimately in intimate partner relationships, I think it all, it all really starts there. So there's a lot, there's a lot of work to do. And, and here we are just doing the best we can to get it done. Right. You know, I'm Tiffany, I'm actually really glad that you brought up um, finding a healthier version of ourselves in order to have healthy relationships. I think if there's, I, I guess, one good thing that's come from COVID or kind of this isolation is something that I've seen in a lot of my peers and I've seen in myself is that by spending so much time with ourselves, we're kind of learning to better understand ourselves and hopefully work towards better version of ourselves. And I hope that that can eventually kind of snowball into healthier relationships as well. I think that some of the things that you learn when you start to have a, a healthier view of yourself, it helps you learn your boundaries and what they should be. It helps you fully and wholly understand that you are enough that you are worthy and that you can establish these boundaries with with anyone not just a romantic partner and and that you deserve to love and be loved just as you are as a person right and i think that that is one of the hardest lessons to learn for anyone at any point in their life but during that transition from high school to college is often when you start to really wrestle with that um, because you may not have a support system that you had in high school and and maybe you wrestled with it in high school but now you're in a different environment and you're trying to reinvent yourself or really settle into different aspects of your identity and and it's just a hard time and I th- that, go ahead 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so no, sorry. No, no. I thought you were, I thought you were done. I was just going to say too, a lot of times people are coming from this external validation that they've been seeking in high school or that they've just been receiving in high school. And they go into this place where they're trying to learn new independence and, and who they really are. And it's like, but all they've really been conditioned to do is seek validation of other people. And so, yeah, no, just to your point, I, I completely agree. William. Um, I actually have like a genuine question for all of you, which is um, as 20 years old myself, like how, how would you guys suggest that more youth kind of like, how do we, as Tiffany said, it's we've been conditioned to look for external validation, but how do you really try to, I guess, in a more practical way in applications in our lives, try to find that internal validation and really just, I guess, build that, uh, that resilience and that self-worth that, you know, um, we give so much importance to. You have some really great questions, Hamza, and some that, you know, I think that we're going to have to continue to wrestle with as a society, you know, social media is just reaffirming that our validation comes from external sources. I mean, without being able to come in and do classes on meditation and all the tools and hardcore stuff that I wish we could do, you know, it's, it's going to be a a process. It's going to take people like you, you know, within these peer groups, kind of like stepping up and being examples of that independence and and self-love and, and worthiness, I think engaging in healthy relationships, you know, exemplifying those things when it comes to tools and practical things, I think it's just healthy habits. I think it's believing in yourself, but proving to yourself that you can trust and believe in yourself, right? Through healthy habits. Before I add on Tiffany, I just, for those of you listening, and also to slightly explain to Hamza, William and I busted out laughing with this question because like, I don't know. I have like the lowest self-esteem. Actually, it's the highest it's ever been, but like it is not great. And it adds into like what I would answer that with because like I have my my counselor brain, right? Like I know what I would tell my clients and it goes into like what I have learned for myself this semester. One thing, so I gave myself a goal in this internship year there's like one goal per semester. And it was just a quote. The first quote was like, you should not be working harder than your client. That's a counselor thing I don't need to go into, but I loved it. The one for this semester, my supervisor was like, you are good at counseling. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And she was like, no, your goal this semester is to give yourself the permission to be the qualified mental health professional that you are. And I can ramble that off because I repeated it to myself every day (laughs) this semester. And I say all of that because like even with clients, you know, I work with young people and I love it. And a lot of what I work on, like self-esteem is like the messages they tell themselves. Like, what are the messages? How do you identify that? And then like, let's flip it. Let's reframe it, which kind of goes into like the positive affirmations that Vivian has done on our podcast before, which I am not an affirmation person, but I think it is so powerful in that like our, the messages we tell ourselves can come from an external place, but once they become in our voice and we consistently repeat them to ourselves, it makes it a lot harder. And if we can change those messages, you know, for me, it is telling myself I am a qualified mental health professional. And that really helps reframe the way that I viewed myself. And that can build some of that self-esteem and transition it into you giving yourself that power 
Yeah, Sarah, I think that we did laugh because that was my exact response was I'll let you know uh, when I find out. But but to to what you were just saying, I think that going to therapy, going to counseling is, is a huge tool for a lot of people. And there's there is stigma and shame around therapy and counseling, both like in, in certain cultures, but also just broadly like, oh, you're seeing a shrink like what? And it's like it's so hard to actively make that first step to go seek that help and sometimes you have to go through several counselors or therapists to find the right person but when you do and you start to to learn some of those behaviors that Sarah was just talking about it can be so helpful for you to to set yourself down on that path to say that, that even if it's just repeating to yourself every morning that you're worthy then that can be such a healthy behavior and and often it's it's thinking about Sarah was saying this about her clients, but I do this with pretty much anybody in my life is like, it's so much easier for me to gas up other people and be like, you're great and you're fantastic and you don't deserve that. And you like set these boundaries and whatever. Um, and so sometimes when I was when I was in grad school, my therapist was one of the things we worked with. She was like, well, what would you tell someone else? Like, you've been an advocate. What would you tell someone that you were working with? in this situation. And so we would talk about it and she, she would say, I don't mean this to be rude, but like, what makes you special? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, you would tell this to anybody else going through this situation. Why does the rule or the advice not apply to you? And so really helping like shift your frame and apply some of the stuff that you, you would of course say to other people in your life to yourself. And then I think a lot of it is learning uh, to fail forward is like when you, when you mess up, not letting that failure define you, not letting yourself be overwhelmed by that. And, and of course, your feelings and your emotions are sometimes unpredictable and, and you have to find the right coping strategies there too, but really trying to frame it as failing forward, whether it's failing in, in a relationship, uh, breakups are hard, learning experience, and whether it is failing a test or just failing in like, I skipped class today because I just didn't want to go. And sometimes you have to just learn what your body needs and what is good for you and allowing yourself those moments. Um, and because everybody experiences them uh, and just getting back up. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, but leaning into your support system if you've got it. And I love what you said there about failing forward. And I would just add like celebrating the small wins like celebrating the little things. And every time, you know, your brain processes those, those small celebratory things, it's reaffirming your worth. It's reaffirming what you can do. And, and so, yeah, I think just adding to what you're saying there, William, I think it's, I think it's fabulous. And, and I also, I always write beautiful messages to my kids on their mirror in their bathroom. It says like, I am bold. I am brave. I can use my voice. I am worthy. And I do believe in affirmations, but it, it is interesting how sometimes it's difficult for us to receive. And so I think giving, but then also um, looking to receive those things is important. Um, but I think the more we give those, the easier it does become for us to, to challenge ourselves to believe in that as well. So what a great conversation, you guys. Yeah, I really love that feeling forward. That's like some on the wall type of quote, you know, like that was a 
That was some really, that's some real wise guy stuff. I'm not gonna. Hey, lie. I do what I can, but full disclosure, I'm sure I did not come up with that. I'm you sure I picked not. it up from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna chime in. I was like, I don't think this comes from William, but Sarah's it is. Making sure. Wow, you just don't believe in me, Sarah. You don't I've think heard that it I before. I knew like you. Because mm, okay. you didn't invite her to the pool party. That's true. She's mad now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, thanks, Hamza. I appreciate that. <laughs> William, I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I'm seeking validation from other people now. Sarah. Anyways, y'all, I, to be fully transparent, this might be one of my favorite conversations we've had. So I really appreciate y'all being on here and having this conversation and Hamza, those genuine questions that you kept posing that stumped us a little bit. Uh, but that's what makes it a really good conversation is that genuine interest I don't know how to say the word I was going to say. Anyways, I, I actually think it's just really, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to go ahead and say that. I just think it's really comforting, actually, that um, as you guys are saying, like, not really anybody has it figured out, you know? I, I'm really, I'm really, it makes me really happy that you guys are saying that. And it's something that I, I can't wait to share with everybody, like, you know, no matter how far you get in life, you know, et cetera, et cetera, like, you're not really going to have it truly figured out. And I think that's a message that's, really important for a group of people that are expected to have figured it out now or in the next few years. So, and Hamza, the the other thing is your, not even your generation, but your specific age group is experiencing something that no adult is experiencing, right? Like, like this transition during a pandemic is something that none of us can actually relate to. So we can throw out our like advice and our suggestions and our wisdom, I guess, air quotes, but none of us know exactly what 18 to 20 year olds are, are experiencing right now in this current climate. So it is certainly a, um, a unique experience and something that you're all navigating on your, I mean, not on your own, like hopefully folks have support systems, but like no one who is alive today has lived through as a very ex- uh, Americans in particular. And I think a word, I think a word that comes to mind is just, again, that compassion for ourselves, for the way we're responding, for the way that we're showing up, just compassion. And if we don't get it right today, like like you mentioned a second ago, but compassion for that we're all on a separate journey and we're all just trying to be here to support each other on that journey. You know, typically we end our episodes with hopes and dreams, but I'm going to change that up a little bit today because I really appreciate where this conversation went. It was a lot about finding self-worth in ourselves, having compassion towards ourselves and others, um, and just some honesty about not having it figured out, about struggling and about balancing between green flags and red flags. And if there's anything else y'all want to add with hopes and dreams, that's fine too. But I really just appreciate that conversation. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've learned a lot in this conversation and I hope that, you know, it it reaches many voices and many young people who who can also hopefully glean uh, something from this. I just want to say thank you. It's a privilege to get to join forces with all kinds of beautiful people just for change and to support one another. And so thank you for letting me be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. And Hamza, thank you for being here. You've both thank you for contributed questions to this conversation. You've both contributed insight and perspective. And it has been, like Sarah was saying, a really generative conversation. 
and I just really appreciate both of you. Um, I don't get to spend enough time with either one of you, Hamza, particularly you anymore. Tiffany, we haven't been pool parties. That's true. You could come yeah. down to Austin and go to a pool party. <laughs> wow. I'll come, come with Sarah. Sarah. Not Sarah. I'll come with Sarah. I'll come with Sarah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I guess. So once we are able to have in-person events again, maybe we'll all get to be together. Thank you both. Uh, we appreciate you. Any final comments? Just thank you for opening the conversations. And, uh, you know, the title of your podcast says it all. I think just giving people the voice and the freedom to share and explore and discover and uncover. There's so much value and just richness that happens there. So thank you guys for for paving the way and opening opening yeah. up these these lines. Yeah, it, it means a lot. And I, if I'm being honest, halfway through, I almost forgot this was for like a vast audience. Like I was getting so invested into this conversation and that just goes to show uh, how much effort and attention you guys put into this. So I'm just, I'm really grateful to be here. And yeah, thank you for this opportunity. I am not a crier, but I have had to say goodbye to so many clients this week and it's been a rough week and you guys are going to about to push me over. But thank you. And I appreciate the work you both do. So with that being said, we will be back next week with another episode. One of our final episodes, one of them, as we wrap down this season of Down the Rabbit Hole. But we appreciate you all and we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.